0: Do you know the secrets of making friends? They are so simple and easy. The Podcast.
1: Welcome to the Coffee Clatch Crew, the Magicians episode review. I'm Jason Pistorino.
0: I'm Christina Lomingino.
1: And today we are reviewing episode 10, The Girl Who Told Time.
0: Written by Noga Landau and Henry Alonso Myers and directed by Joshua Butler. So Henry Alonso Myers wrote Divine Elimination and Noga Landau wrote The Cock Barons and then Joshua Butler directed Cheat Day. We've had all these people working on magicians before.
1: Yeah. It had a feel of all of them in it.
0: But better. Yeah. IMDb only gave it an 8.3. I disagree. This is without a doubt my favorite episode of the season so far.
1: IDA, IMDb. I disagree. (laughs) Give Give them some of their own medicine.
0: The title comes from the third novel of the Fillory and Further series. And the summary is an alternate reality holds the key to saving Julia. Elliot attempts to win over his people and Margot unloads her secret. Penny and Katie become caught between two magical factions and the Poison Room.
1: Margot unloads her secret. No. She, she kind of like puked it, like, <laughs> but not even a good puke. No. It wasn't like, I gotta just tell you this. It was like gurgling out of her mouth in a, in a horrible, wet manner that does not help and the it cause.
0: Also was as though it's no big deal. I d- that's the only thing I yeah. don't like is how they're portraying Margot lately.
1: Yeah, I hear you on that. And I felt that way when she was saying it. But I think that was just her way of dealing with that stress is like if she can be flippant about it, it helped her to get it out. And possibly the reaction could be a little more flippant. You know, I think that was the way she handled stress. The way I handle stress is I like panic and I just go at it.
0: I agree in that situation That did feel appropriate for her, and I do like how she's dealing with other things, such as ruling the kingdom. I just feel that plot-wise, they're not quite sure how to handle her at present. She had that whole thing with Prince S that just kind of fizzled out, and now they're throwing her into the Elliot Fenn situation. She doesn't feel like she really has a story of her own.
1: No? Up until this episode, it's been her kingdom, Really? And she's been the one taking over because she needed to, out of necessity.
0: Out of necessity, right, to cover for Elliot. But is Mm -hmm. this really her thing? Where does she belong?
1: Okay. But in regards to the other thing you said, Prince E, you kind of feel like that fell down the side. I'm going to say, now that I'm really getting the feel of the show, as the motion goes along, I think he's going to be back once the king is there. And then that storyline is going to reconvene. And the reason why I bring that up is because we were wondering about three other plot lines that were not touched upon last week, and we'll get into it later. And they made sure, almost as if they heard us and acted the next day or something, but (laughs) they made sure to cover those. Yeah. Now I'm a little more wary of that, and I'm like, it's just not time yet, maybe.
0: I agree, and I have almost nothing but upsides for this episode. I thought it was amazing. We're finally getting to those great parts of book two, That I've been talking about, but I can't really share with you. You freaked
1: out at the end of the episode.
0: I was so happy. I wish I was
1: recording. You were like, this is what I've been
0: saying. (laughs) All of the magic, the great plot lines, Penny in the library, the poison room, Julia and her shade, the underworld and alternate timeline Alice. The content is great. They had a lot, but it didn't feel disjointed or bounced around the way I felt in previous episodes. The group is starting to come together again to fight external odds. And when there's emotion present, it feels genuine. My only complaint is I can't believe it took them this long in season two to get to it. Now, if they're going to continue and really give us everything from book two throughout the course of season three.
1: You're cool with it then.
0: I'm in. I'm totally excited. But if they're going to jump right through all that. Then you're worried. And go to book three, then I'm frustrated.
1: Well, I believe it took so long for them to get to the crux of book two because they wanted to set up the storyline a little more, maybe make up for the fact that in books, you know, you can hear what people are thinking. So you get more, Mm -hmm. uh, you get more aware of each character and also they can, you know, like the Game of Thrones, they can elongate it, these three books into maybe five or six seasons.
0: If they're being sold on it that way, that's fantastic. I also think they wanted to do more with Alice. And I love that because I like Olivia Taylor Dudley. I'm starting to get a little worried, though. They keep trying to find ways to keep her relevant and bring her back. So now we get alternate timeline, Alice. You know, how many things like that can they do with Alice? But I loved having that for Quentin here. That was something we didn't get to see in the books and him having the opportunity to really say goodbye to her.
1: Yeah. I'm not disappointed in the way she's been coming back. It doesn't feel fake or forced yet.
0: Not yet. I just don't know how much longer can they continue that, you know, finding ways of keeping her in there, even though she's not really there anymore. I see. But anyway, I'm really excited. I can't wait to talk about this episode. We only have one quick music note, and that was Brain Machine by The Kickaways, which played as Quentin and Julia did their research. But I do have lots of new faces, places, and magic for you. First, we get to meet other Julia, as I'm calling her. And this is the early days, powerful magician Julia, who was welcomed at Breakbills. She seemed naive in a certain sense still. You know, hadn't been exposed to everything that could happen in this world. Excited, curious about her magic, a searcher, the way Fogg describes her.
1: I like that, Julia. Now we're starting to see how powerful she actually is. I was wondering, how did she get all this power all of a sudden? All of a sudden she can do things. Mm -hmm. And it just took her longer because she didn't have break bills to teach her. But we see that she has a discipline that's a little bit of everything. That's how good she is. She's a searcher of magic.
0: Well, I wanted to get into that because it seems as though the TV show is elaborating on the knowledge house in a way that the book never did there were six known disciplines at Breakbills. Physical, natural, illusion, knowledge, healing, and psychic magic. You could belong to one of each of those and then you also had a meta discipline. So within that, it was kind of like a specialty. And they called hers metacomposition, so the discovery of magic in a certain sense. Well, Dean Fogg explains it as being part psychic and part physical, so physical their house has the magical ability to manipulate matter. And psychic, obviously, concerns psychic energy. They can read people's minds, much the way you see Penny doing. The book didn't talk about it that way, though. It said it's a discipline whose traits are little known. It assumes it deals with the accumulation of magical knowledge, or possibly the use of knowledge in a way to generate magic itself. However, due to how little information is given, this is all speculation. Hmm. So they never really defined it. And I wonder if the TV show is trying to put more of a fine point on it. Seeing this Julia made me think about a question I have regarding her. Which is better for her? To have lived the way she did in this timeline, but having to undergo everything she's been through? Or to have had the opportunity to be at break bills, to be happy for a while, but ultimately to die at the hands of the beast? Do you have any opinions on that?
1: Well, I don't know. I don't think I have a real concise answer which one is better. This is definitely, the road is a lot more difficult to get to the point of being the magician that she would be in past loops. Mm -hmm. But we know the ending was failure. So if she's taking the longer and harder road, more painful, I mean, really more painful. She got raped. She had to abort a child.
0: Mm -hmm. Demigod. Demigod child.
1: (laughs) lost her shade, I think she'll be more of a rounded magician at the end of this. And hopefully everything else goes well. No one else, she doesn't die. Mm -hmm. I think this would be the better route. In the other loop, she never gets to see the type of magician she could become because she's killed by the beast.
0: Yeah. Well, and also kind of that all depends on what happens with her shade. So that was the second face we were introduced to the 12-year-old version of Julia or her shade that Quentin meets during the episode. We also see other Alice from the 23rd timeline, the sole survivor of the beast in that story. So she was the only one that made it out of it. And they said she became obsessed with the afterlife after losing all of her friends, trying to figure out how to commune with lost souls and shades. And she's very different than our Alice. Fogg says she was hurt and broken. She certainly looks that way. Yeah, physically and emotionally and mentally. She's got missing three fingers on one hand. But she also seems emotionally softer in a way. You know, she's able to communicate her feelings to Quentin. She automatically believes him, understands, says how much she misses him. So it's interesting to see that it seems like at base, they're all the same people throughout the loops, but it definitely does change them in ways, depending on what they go through.
1: Last episode, we discussed nature versus nurture in regards to the fox's son, Senator Gaines. Well, in this aspect, in every loop, they are the same person, but parts of them are very different because of what they went through, which I guess would be nurture. It's not their parents' nurture. It's the nurture of life. Yeah, but
0: yeah, nurture is just environment, period. Anything external that influences them. So absolutely, this is that 50-50 split we were talking about.
1: But we did see, and I don't want to get too far into that scene, we did see that Alice and Quentin had the same kind of fight in that loop Mm -hmm. as well. And it's just with what Alice went through in that loop, she was able to come to the conclusion that she was wrong and she was too proud.
0: Mm -hmm. And would she have eventually come to that if she survived in this loop too? So yeah, the essentials are the same, it appears. But that's a fascinating topic, and I think they're doing a good job at handling it. The alternate timeline thing can get really tricky within stories, but I like the way they're doing it right now. We also wondered last episode if we would get more of Josh Hoberman. And surprise, surprise, here he is. I guess this is why he was on the Fillory quest.
1: Yeah. So I don't think that was Josh Hoberman who was the uh, wolf. No. Werewolf.
0: Just in the the quest later on, it seems. Although what threw me is they credited his name for last episode. So I was very confused about it. But we welcome him back, student that was part of the class, who vanished under mysterious circumstances in 2014. And he's going to be our character review for later on in the episode. So we'll talk more about him. Then we got Harriet, played by Marley Matlin, a magician who works at Fuzzbeat and knows about the Poison Room.
1: I really loved her character. I fell in love with her right away. One, because I know the actress. Not personally, but... (laughs) (laughs) She's in West Wing, L Word, Switched at Birth, Spring Awakening. She has a presence in all of her scenes that captures the screen. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: She's very confident. And for someone who doesn't vocally give us much, because she can't... Yeah. She still is able to captivate us. Expressive. And she melded so well with Katie... Like, they bounced off of each other so well. I forgot that they don't know each other.
0: Yeah, and so oddly with Penny, what was Penny's deal with her? I guess we'll talk about that more later. And finally, we got Howard, the male librarian of the Netherlands Order. Now, before we move on, do you think it's strange that we got a name for the male librarian, who we saw for not even five minutes in this episode, but we still don't have a name on that main librarian we've come to know, who talks to Penny every time she... Sees him there?
1: It's very weird. It's so odd that I feel like maybe we're just we just missed it.
0: I don't think so because even on IMDB and all the other websites, they give names to everyone else, but she's listed as the librarian. Huh. So are they maybe trying to hide something with her identity? Maybe. It's very interesting. I'm keen to know more about her. All right. Next we have places. We saw Fuzzbeat a company that produces online videos and articles, which are a secret cover for encoded spells and magic. What a great concept. Hmm. We heard about the Poison Room, where the Netherlands Order stores books that contain knowledge too dangerous for the public. Much more to say on that later. And also the Underworld, another world only accessible to the dead unless with the help of a gatekeeper. And again, we didn't get to see that yet, but it seems like maybe next episode. And speaking of, for creatures, we have the Ancient One, gatekeepers that apparently look like serpent dragons, Uh, ancient beings that are older than the world itself. They are the only way for the living to access the underworld.
1: Now, in this episode, we didn't actually meet the gatekeeper yet, but we were made aware of it.
0: Yeah, we were told about the concept and you see a little bit in the preview.
1: All I can say is,
0: dragons! (laughs) What we're missing on the magicians, right?
1: Yeah, and what we're often missing on Game of Thrones, (laughs) that's my thing during our Game of Thrones podcast. I'm always like, where are the dragons? We need more dragons.
0: Yeah, this looked more, though, like a big sea serpent.
1: Yeah, but they call it a dragon.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, fantasy creatures, right? They can be anything.
1: Are you a dragonist?
0: (laughs) All right, in our last category, spells and magic. We heard about the polling spell that apparently Elliot took from Earth magician Nate Silver so he can find out just how popular he is in Fillory. <laughs> I told you this was a primary concern for him. We got Flexion, a way for matter within different realities to occupy the same space. And they have equipment that we'll talk about later that allows them to do this. We brought back illusion magic again. I didn't think we would hear a lot about that with Ilario out of the picture, but this allows a magician to cover how things appear. We see it in this episode with Fuzzbeat. We got a tracking spell, which is nothing new. However, they're using it more and more often. I'm wondering if it's sort of a magician's fallback. This leads Penny and Katie to Fuzzbeat and also is the way that Margot finds the Foo Fighter camp on the Fillory map. And finally, we got the Modus Hex, the spell that Harriet put on the calling card, of principles of illusion magic.
1: This is how sad it is. I'm so not used to libraries that I forgot what that card was called that goes in the back of a library book.
0: Yeah, I, I was trying to think about it. You have the card that goes in the card catalog, but this is something different that they take out to scan your book before you leave. And I'm not sure what it's called, to be honest with you. But the hex that she puts on it causes Howard to do something against his will. And of course, here, that's open the door to the poison room.
1: I just wanted to let the Clatchers know that I've been putting the Magicians podcast on our main channel, the Magicians channel, and the, our Westworld channel, because that's our biggest channel.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I was just trying to get the word out to our Clatchers that we're doing Magicians. But then I got lax and like just kept putting them up. Mm-hmm. And last week, I didn't put it up, and I noticed that some of the numbers fell. So I put it back up, and I'm going to put this one up there. But this will be the last one on Westworld, just because it doesn't make sense. And if people are following us on Westworld, they don't watch The Magicians. It might get annoying to them. Right. So if you're listening to this podcast from our Westworld channel, make sure you go over to either our main channel, coffeeclatscrew.com, or you can find us in The Magicians channel.
0: Right. So starting episode 11. It will be up there.
1: very late on that.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's okay. Give them plenty of time to uh, find out about the magicians and fall in love.
1: All right, let's jump right into the plot.
0: Okay, we open up with Dean Fogg interviewing Julia for the magic portion of the Breakbills entrance exam. This is obviously happening in the past. When she does a second year spell, Fogg is impressed and realizes she has already understood the theory behind it and reshaped it. He tells her her discipline is metacomposition and says you are drawn mind and body to the discovery of magic. It turns out Dean Fogg is also a knowledge student, and he thinks she has a rare gift and is envious of the future discoveries that lie ahead.
1: I really got excited when I saw this episode open up in the past, hmm. because so much has happened that I'm sure a lot of us, including me at times, have forgotten everything that they went through in the beginning of all this. Yeah. All the loops... Jane Chatwin and what they went through to fight the beast. This kind of brings it back to the fold. And like, oh, yeah, they went through all that. There was all these loops. And now we're getting sent to a past loop that we haven't been able to see yet.
0: Yeah. And it's exciting to think about what other changes could have occurred. I wouldn't mind getting some more of that. Like what happened in some of the other 39 loops they've been through, you know?
1: Definitely. And this is one of them. And it kind of made me respect Julia more and feel bad for her more because we only know the Julia that didn't make it into break bills. You know, we know her shortcomings, Mm -hmm. which was kind of the forefront of her personality for season one and half of season two. And I'm really intrigued and excited to see this other part of Julia, the Julia that we know is in her now. We knew that she always strived to learn. Whatever she put her head into, she, she excelled. We were thinking that it's an obsession of perfection. But now knowing that she would be a metacomposition student who is part physical and part psychic, who seek out to learn and, and find magic that's never been found before, now we know that that's inside of her. And it, it just makes her more and more intriguing.
0: Yeah, I think you saw just a little glimpse of that in season one when she did walk in to the entrance exam in this loop. And she realized that it was real. And there was something about her expression. She had wanted to believe it for so long, but forced herself to give up on that because it wasn't realistic that it existed. And now that it did, her desire to have that knowledge, to learn more about it. It was there for a flash, but this is a lot more in depth with. Yes, that is a big part of her personality that we haven't seen in a very long time.
1: Yeah, because we were seeing it from Q's point of view, which was, you know, this is something I have and you don't and you can't take it. Mm -hmm. You need to have it, too, and you need to be better. And that, of course, was his point of view, but we kind of adopted that point of view.
0: Yeah, we spoke about that, right, that it's common for a reader or a viewer to take the point of view of your main character. And I flip-flopped between trying to defend her and trying to defend him, throughout the course of our reviews because I sort of have seen both sides of it and I can empathize with both.
1: Back in the present, we see the strong parallels to Julia's situation as now she is sitting in the Breakbills dungeon. Dean Fogg comes to see her and let her out.
0: I just think it's terrible and I think
1: I would have never done it if I were me. One thing I've learned about you, Miss Wicker, is that you are a searcher. You don't know me. Thirty-nine times I've known you, which is why I trust that you'll put aside your fear and self-pity and look for the answers that can save you.
0: Do we trust that? Um, Us as viewers, you know, it's she was so hell-bent on this revenge scheme against Reynard, and now it seems very quick that she's had a turnaround to sort of doing the right thing and going on a search for something that will perhaps put her back together, make her more whole again. We saw Quentin's mistake in trusting that with Alice. This whole season, he's been trying to help her put herself back together only to find out that's not what she wants. She just wants to be let free and to go on her own mission to do whatever magic it is that we're not even sure yet. And now I feel like he's jumped tracks, but he's in the same situation now with Julia.
1: I didn't necessarily trust that in the beginning of the episode, but after everything she went through, it seems like she's willing to put aside the Fox right now. Mm -hmm. And she's there to help Q and Dean Fogg to research what to do about finding her shade, Mm -hmm. which is helping herself out. But she doesn't seem as like hell bent on there's one thing and one thing only. And I will sacrifice whatever it is to get it.
0: Yeah. And I was, I was wondering why? Though the whole episode, why after a whole season of the Reynard thing, did we see such a quick turnaround? And it's not because she feels bad. For a second, I, I had pondered that. Did she finally experience the guilt over what happened with Katie? And Katie saying, that's it. I'm done with you. You're not a person anymore. But she makes it clear to us she can't feel those things. She sort of wishes she could. And rationally, she's thinking about them. But she's not experiencing them as emotions. The only thing that makes sense to me is kind of what I brought up last time. I think it's Q. I think she really needed her friend this whole time to say, I'm here for you now. The focus is on helping you. What can we do together? No, oh, you might be right. Because that's the only thing that snapped her out of it last episode when she was talking to Alice. And I thought she was going to go right off the deep end. and Quentin started bleeding, she kind of came to. And said, this isn't right. You're doing something to him that's hurting him. I think he keeps her grounded in in reality and what the old Julia used to be.
1: Well, obviously, Q means more to her than we have been led to know. I'm jumping the gun here. But when Q goes to the other world and meets Julia's shade, I think that was Julia's shade seeking him out. Mm -hmm. And that should mean something right there.
0: Yeah, well, they were childhood friends. They were best friends. Yeah. We just, we never got to really see that. Well, meanwhile, in Whitespire, preparations are underway for Elliot's wedding. Quentin is depressed and wallowing in his loss when Margot comes and throws out his wine. Those grapes died for nothing now, he retorts. She says it's been three months fillery time of emo Quentin, not her favorite Quentin. (laughs) She's sympathetic, but she needs his help with Groomzilla. It's his turn to be a friend and go run errands on Earth.
1: You gotta love Margot and Elia together. <clears throat> <laughs> they always have these funny inside sayings and jokes, but I forgot how awesome it was to have the three of them together, even if this isn't the full cue that we know.
0: It's been way too long, and I sort of got excited at this because we've been asking, will Quentin ever come back and rule Fillory with them?
1: Yeah, So that's one of the questions we had, and right there was kind of the answer.
0: Well, the answer was kind of no, because (laughs) I got excited for a minute thinking, there's nothing he can do to fix these situations that are happening on Earth. So for now, it had been Alice. And maybe he needs to come back and rule Fillory for a bit to get his mind off things. That doesn't seem to be working.
1: No. (laughs) Do you think that the issue was Q missing Alice and, and, and heartbroken? Or is it that he doesn't know what to do with himself when he's not trying to help someone else?
0: I think that's definitely part of the issue, his never-ending desire to be the hero, to find a place where he gets to play that role. He always thought it was going to be Fillory, and it's certainly not. He couldn't do it for Alice, so now he's trying to do it for Julia. We get all of a two-second clip of that, and then she sends him away again, and he's back to Earth. What I thought was interesting though is it's the first mention of a time difference mm. in a while.
1: And we did bring that up a while back. And but I sh- thought it was time goes by longer in fillery than in Earth.
0: We mentioned that last time also. It doesn't seem to follow any strict patterns that okay. they can figure out. It it does seem they are establishing a precedent though that it is longer in fillery. She says it's been three months here. And oh, that's three, right. That's
1: what Elliot was worried about.
0: Three days on Earth. When so, he first started. I don't, I don't know if there's a specific equation, but longer, fillery, shorter Earth.
1: This is insane. Why the fuck would Fogg let Julia go? I mean, haven't you ever noticed? Fogg isn't that helpful. Because you knew he couldn't keep her in there forever. She has to deal with Reynard and doesn't have time for her right now. She tries to tell him that Reynard is her problem, but he insists on helping. When she asks what's going on with the library, he says... It takes six weeks to process the order.
0: A book request. Right. The one he's been waiting for on how to fix his hands.
1: Which right there answered our questions. We were like, what happened with the library, the whole library thing? And that's what I mean where if there's one episode where they don't touch upon it, chances are they will later.
0: Yeah, that was such a huge revelation though. And we knew the book was going to take a while. I didn't think that necessarily meant they wouldn't induct him to the order.
1: Right. There's a lot of things with this order that I didn't really realize would happen, (laughs) which we will get to right then, Penny transports them, and they wind up in the Netherlands library. The librarian says they have processed his application and would like to formally welcome him to the order. They've allowed Katie there to assist in Penny's transition, but needs to speak to him in private to review his obligations.
0: His obligations. That sounds ominous. <laughs>
1: Yeah, in the beginning, when this first happened, I thought this was kind of, you know, a strict agreement. But I didn't feel like the library had any nefarious intentions. But now I'm starting to think there's more to this library than we know.
0: I was really worried. I didn't think it was nefarious, but I did think it was serious. And they're almost gangbusting people into signing lifetime contracts. There's got to be a purpose why they do that. And... Yeah, we are getting some more background later on in this episode as to why that happens. So I'll save my questions, I guess, for when we get to that. Yeah. First, though, let's go back to Fillory. Elliot is talking to Baylor. He wonders why the people still don't like him. After all, he put off the war, fixed the Wellspring, and stopped a famine. Everything we've been saying. We learn that he borrowed this polling spell and found out that his approval rating is at 26%, which sucks. (laughs) He came to talk to Baylor because he might know why they hate him. He did try to murder him. Baylor says, though, now that he's come to know Elliot and earth nachos, he feels (laughs) differently. Also, if Elliot's worried about his popular view, a wedding is the perfect time to appeal to the people. Now, what was Baylor doing down there? Was he still being locked up? Was he a free man at this point, just chatting with Elliot? I couldn't quite get a handle on Elliot just kind of shows up there and they're chilling eating nachos.
1: I think he was still in the dungeon and he just came down, well, with the nachos (laughs) and was trying to, well, what he's freaking out about is that people don't like him. So he's going to the one person that he has that doesn't like him, the one source that he has. And maybe try to pick his brain. What can I do? It's obvious he's trying to find things to do to make people like him. And this happened a few times in this episode. What Elliot said was almost verbatim of what we've been saying. He listed all the things he's done for Fillory. Killed the beast, ended the war. I mean, it goes on and on and on. What else do I have to do to make them like me? And that's what he had to ask him. And the Foo Fighter, he seemed pretty relaxed. And I thought, oh, man, maybe they do like each other. (laughs) But it looks like they didn't or they won't.
0: Yeah, even Elliot thought he had finally won him over. That was a really big disappointment to him later. Of course. He just can't get a pulse beat on what do these Florians actually want. I think he needs to learn more about their culture. I'm surprised that he's not going to fend more to say, what is it that they're looking for? You know, the things I'm trying to do clearly is not what they want.
1: Right. Well, he's not going to fend for anything, and that's what... One of the big issues is.
0: Mm -hmm. They sent Quentin back to Earth to find Josh, apparently, who is busy selling his magic baked goods, complete with potions of his own design.
1: Think of it as pot brownies, but a little (laughs) more powerful.
0: Yeah, and all different kinds that can do all sorts of magic. And Quentin comes to tell him that Elliot asked for him specifically in Fillory. Josh is worried about Q, saying the last time he saw him, he was dealing with Alice in the Keiko Trap. Hugh admits he's been dealing with it by self-medicating or at least improvising with what they have in Fillory. I don't know what that means. Josh gives him something that will let him see into other worlds.
1: And this is like actually see into other worlds. I've done mushrooms and I feel like I've seen <laughs> elves and things in the woods, but this is physically in another world.
0: <laughs> yeah, I thought that was going to be what happened to him.
1: Cakes that give you magic. Now that sounds like a fun party, huh?
0: Yeah, although I don't know how much I'm trusting Josh in his knowledge of potions, what it's going to do to me. I mean, I don't think the underworld is what you desire to see when you take one of his brownies.
1: But then again, I think he was called to the underworld by Shade Julia.
0: Yeah, it seems to be.
1: So he starts to trip out and winds up in a place with a neon sign behind him. And I found out what the sign says. It says, ta-da.
0: I thought so. Which
1: is kind of funny because like magicians, ta-da! I know, that
0: seemed a little weird. (laughs)
1: It's probably a wink-wink from the writers. Mm -hmm. And there he sees a familiar-looking little girl, a 12-year-old Julia, or at least her shade. She says she missed him. The shade is lost, looking for a way out in another world. She doesn't know where, and time is running out. Q has to find her before it's too late. Again... Q has to do something for someone else and has to help someone else. But I'm starting to think that that's what he needs.
0: And what does that mean before it's too late? What's going to happen to her? Is she able to leave now, but she won't be eventually? Um,
1: it might be if you're away from your shade for a long enough period of time, it will no longer go back to you. It will no longer fit.
0: Yeah, recognize it is.
1: Yeah. I'm guessing.
0: Well, that's a good idea. I was thinking originally that before we found out this is the Underworld, the Shade was in some type of purgatory in between, and he had to find her before it actually went to the Underworld. It doesn't sound like that from the preview we got, although who knows, there could be different levels.
1: Right. How under was he?
0: <laughs> yeah. In the meantime, Elliot plays with the fillery chess pieces, arranging place settings for the wedding. Much more dangerous than war planning, he tells <laughs> us. Quentin comes to tell him he needs to go back to Earth. He had a vision of a way to help Julia, a motherfucking vision, something he needs to do. So Elliot says he'll let him go, but if he misses the wedding, he will kill him.
1: I love that. he gives him an Elliot kind of hug. And the way he says it, (laughs) it just makes me laugh. I don't know.
0: He delivered Josh, and apparently that's all Elliot wanted for help with his wedding cuisine.
1: I love the fact that Josh is being reintroduced into the storyline. At such an important manner, you know. I think they kind of needed Josh. His personality is, he's not as jaded as the whole crew is, you know. And he's kind of more lively.
0: He was classic comic relief. And I remember saying it in season one that he was a huge part of the books. And I couldn't believe they were taking him out of the TV show. So I'm really glad to see that I think he's going to start playing a role again.
1: Back at the Netherlands Library, Katie asks a male librarian for a book on how to defeat a being with godlike power. He sends a request up a tube, just like a bank. <laughs> Nothing available on that topic. He says it might not be strictly possible to do, but she says it has happened. Norse gods in Fillory, the beast killed Umber. How could they not have it?
0: By the way, they never have anything.
1: Yeah, it seems <laughs> like it, right? I'm
0: somebody's looking for it, it's always in another have.
1: library. But she says if a way exists, she will find it. Penny says they told her that books exist on how he can fix his hands, but he has to do the research on his own time. See, that's ridiculous. This is what I mean. So they told her that they'd be able to help him. But now they're saying, yep, we'll give you a book, but you got to figure it out on your own.
0: We thought they were just going to wave their hands over his hands. Yeah, they're master magicians, right? (laughs) So they have the knowledge, A, they can't even get it for him. He's had to wait. And B once he does get it he has to find his own time to read it deal with it's it it's
1: ridiculous the,
0: the <laughs> as it is it wasn't really worth the contract to sign his life away but yeah, now, now it's, it's definitely really, not worth it
1: and i don't trust them now at any point
0: i'm very i'm now i'm scared i'm not just frustrated for penny i'm actually a little scared
1: and this really makes me miss Mayakovsky. like i really hope we loop back we loop back towards him some point in this show
0: yeah what the heck happened to that
1: Because now, even more, I'm like, you should have just stuck with Mayakovsky. Mm -hmm. He had you doing errands, but they weren't like this. (laughs) And this leaves Penny with having to find a book that's been gone for 10 years, and he needs Katie to help him with a locator spell since he still can't cast.
0: Yeah. He'd be really screwed without her right now.
1: And this library, is this a real library? I mean, this book is 10 years overdue. And now, just now they're going to go send someone to get it?
0: It seems more and more like they could give a shit about the regular books, and their main purpose is to protect... It felt like Harry Potter, where all the books you really wanted were in the restricted section that the students could never get to, and that's their poison room. I know we're going to talk about it later, but I actually wondered if the order wasn't established in the first place. To keep an eye on these dangerous books.
1: You might be right. It's kind of like in the old days when we were young. Before Blockbuster was big, every town had a privately owned VHS video store.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And those stores had a room that we couldn't go into because we were too young.
0: (laughs) Behind the curtain.
1: Yeah. And the curtain were like beads. And we knew there was porn back there. There was like UFC fighting championships.
0: Stuff we weren't allowed to watch. Yeah. Yeah.
1: This is, the f- forbidden, <laughs> this is the forbidden room.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We're going to come back to that, though. I have more thoughts and questions on the library in general.
1: How come Penny is not more upset about this? Why isn't he pissed off like you're not even helping my hand?
0: I don't know. That's one of my big questions. He's just going on these errands without a, a second thought about it. When Katie brings up the whole thing about Harriet, he suddenly wary of it and wanting to follow the rules i mean it just doesn't feel very penny like what's happening
1: i would have been like this contract says you're gonna fix my magic and i'm not gonna do anything for you guys i'm not even part this contract is null and void till you actually do that for me
0: not only that but if they want him rendering services how is he really able to do that without magic
1: good question that's probably why they're letting katie tag along
0: they said i mean he couldn't have even gotten there if katie hadn't helped him right Let's go over, though, to White Spire, where Elliot talks to Fen and wants to know if she disapproves of the marriage. He's surprised that she seems okay with it. She says it's normal in Fillory and her mission is to protect their growing family. Marriage to Idri means a stronger kingdom to raise their child in. She's being seemingly very understanding, yeah. but she begs off helping him with the preparations because of morning sickness. Between that and the look on her face, it's pretty yeah. clear that she's faking this level of understanding.
1: Yeah, I was thinking that too. But I was wondering, is it just because of our podcast and the way we broke down how Fen is going to be reacting to this? So are we more <laughs> or less likely to believe anything she's doing just because of this I thought we put into our heads? I think
0: so. Because we've seen the way she's been nearly obsessed with him. Yeah following him around wanting to get into bed with him i think it could be true that it's more normal the whole taking a husband and wife thing in Fillory, and maybe that doesn't affect her as much my thoughts is more it's somebody else that's going to take him away from her now first it was Margot, now it's the king yeah and she's got to be worried about their growing family She may have some reservations, but the deal Margot made is certainly going to put her over the edge later. And as Elliot leaves, she gets a vision of the fairy, but he disappears quickly. So it's been three months.
1: They're already watching over. They're making sure that everything that was promised to them will come to them.
0: And a little while later, Josh helps Elliot prep for the wedding. But Elliot says the food isn't fillery and he needs everyone to like him. Right down to the menu he's serving now. Nothing feels good enough.
1: And this is where he even says, I need them to like me. I need them them to eat this and like me. So he's really obsessing over this. And I didn't feel like Elliot was ever that kind of person, especially on Earth. He didn't care.
0: No, I think exactly the opposite. He definitely cared very much about what people thought of him. His main goal in life was throwing these parties where the food was perfect and there was always a matching drink to accompany it. And the party was bigger and better when he came back and found out Todd was doing it in his place. He was pissed.
1: Oh, you're right.
0: That's that's such a big thing to him. And I think that's how his and Margot's friendship formed in the first place. She was like his sidekick in all of that. And he's really just transitioned it to Fillory. This is a bigger stage for him to play on. And that... That could be something contributing to the issues he's having. He's bringing them what he thinks they would want. He's ruling the way he would imagine from everything he knows on earth. Maybe he needs to shift his perspective a bit.
1: But how is he going to learn the right perspective? His counsel give him shit as yes. far as information. Then maybe a little bit, but maybe he just has to go out there and talk to the people.
0: He hasn't really been amongst this kingdom. There's still a lot he doesn't know. He's finding rules out every day, and that's unacceptable. They should really know most of the things about their kingdom at this point. And I think another part of it is maybe the answer is not getting people to like you. Maybe he needs to be more like Margot and just take charge and start making decisions.
1: Yeah, the age-old question, is it more important to be loved or feared?
0: Mm. Then Quentin goes to talk to Julia. She doesn't want to let him in at first because she says she could have killed him. She can't feel anymore. She's doing it all from memory. She's broken and that makes her dangerous. But Q tells her he talked to her shade. He doesn't know where she is and he needs Julia's help with it.
1: All right, so at this point, it sounds like she has feelings. I mean, she does say that she doesn't feel, but she's remembering how it was to feel.
0: But- yeah, it's it's not feelings. It's not emotion she's experiencing. It's thoughts. Logically, she knows she should be feeling something. This is a situation where she did wrong and she should feel bad. But internally, that's not happening.
1: But even that is a lot more of a progression than last episode. She didn't even think about what other people would be thinking or feeling.
0: Uh, yeah, I think at that point, she she mentally wasn't putting herself there. And Katie forced her to do that by sitting in the cell. And, and then, what she
1: said to her, yeah.
0: Yeah. She also had no hope of something better. It's the moment where Q tells her there's still a reason to believe. I found your shade. That's when she agrees to help him look.
1: Oh, you're right. But that does mean that she wants to feel again.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. And that's when they start to search through books about the afterlife. It's hard to figure out what's true, though. It's mixed, almost borderline, she says, with religion. And Todd keeps interrupting them, high on something from Josh— she finds a vague passage that mentions shades, but it appears nobody talks about it, and there must be a reason for that. It's then that Todd remembers Dean Fogg talking about them just the other day. For his work-study job, apparently, Todd types mm-hmm. up memoirs for Fogg. First, it's interesting that Dean Fogg is writing personal memoirs. <laughs> and second, it's incredibly funny That Dean Fogg had a dark artistic rivalry with Bob Ross.
1: Yeah, that is funny. So he's an artist, apparently.
0: I want to know more about that. (laughs) Me too. And it ends with Todd saying Fogg knew somebody who is obsessed with jades.
1: And that goes right into Fogg saying he did know someone interested in them. It's complicated, though. It was Alice. And this is why she recognized Julia's was gone when she saw her. Mm Mm-hmm. But is it? Why? Because this is a different Alice.
0: I think it was a mix of things. As I said last time, I think part of it was Alice not really having a shade of her own at that point. She was a Niffin. She had given up all of those restraints in the same way that losing your shade would allow you to be freed of them. That was really more of a question of mine, though. (laughs) In these iterations, does something of them affect any of your other selves? It's very weird. Are they completely alternate timelines and paths, like different worlds that exist somewhere else? Or does it tie back in, in a way?
1: Well, Dean described it as another dimension. Mm. A parallel dimension, actually, because they still exist, but just not in this one, in this Dimension.
0: Does that mean they're layered on top of each other? Everything is continuing to happen at the same time? It's a fascinating thought, right?
1: Oh, it is fascinating. And they actually say that about the real world. The universe is so vast that there's infinite planet Earths, there's infinite Christinas, infinite Jasons that are having a podcast right now saying the same exact thing. (laughs) And then there's versions that are not even podcasting. There's a version where I'm a basketball player. You know, who knows?
0: Yeah. This is also where we find out that the other Alice from the 23rd timeline was very different than this Alice.
1: But obviously they can't talk to her because it's a whole nother universe. Mm. And that's when Julia speaks up about a Tesla flexion. So how does Julia know about this?
0: Yeah, it's not impossible. She says, why don't they just do this? She always seems to know, despite not having gone to break bills and getting the knowledge everyone else did, more complicated and advanced magic. I think it's a matter of hedge witches being willing to try shit that is off limits to break bill students, that they put all these rules and parameters around what's safe with magic. Somebody like her out in the real world is playing around with some dangerous shit. So, yeah, of course she knows.
1: But also, going back to how Alice would have known, Even though it being a different Alice, maybe with all these loops, you know how Dean Fogg remembers, but maybe they, deep down, their subconscious remembers what they've learned. That's what I was
0: asking last time when you were saying that's impossible because they exist in different realities. But I was wondering if that's how Alice knew... About the no shade thing, because to some degree, there is something retained in that. But then I guess you have to think about which versions came first and which came later. It gets really complicated.
1: Wibbly wobbly, timey wimey.
0: (laughs) We get a brief scene in here where Elliot tells Margot Fen might be having pregnant wife issues. Her head is always elsewhere. Margot is trying to follow the conversation, but she then sees a fairy pop up behind Elliot. We get a good look at him this time. Yeah. Still don't love the fairies.
1: No, I don't.
0: They're very weird looking. They have these white painted faces, the full black eye thing going on, and white flowing tunics. It's just, they are scary. I'll give you that. I like the idea of fairies being more ominous instead of light and uh, ephemeral and, and beautiful. But I just wish there was more, I don't know, like costuming, magic Yeah, I want a
1: little more from that. So now the fairies obviously are starting to get worrisome because they probably know that Margot hasn't told them yet. So they're worried that they're not even going to get the baby.
0: It could be. I think they're just watching her to see what she's going to do. And also, will she tell Elliot, I think has to be a big factor. And I'm very surprised that she still hasn't done so. But simultaneously, Katie and Penny's tracking spell takes them to Fuzzbeat, a company that does online videos. They're there for this book that's 10 years overdue, Principles of Conjuring Elements. And the woman who greets them is Harriet. She starts to do hand motions that Penny thinks is oh, a that was spell great. and he freaks out until he finds out she's actually using sign language. The woman says they don't look like librarians, but then agrees to help them look for the book that must be around here somewhere. Although she's worried about the late fee. Katie wonders what her deal is and why she's working there. The woman says, half the clickbait out there is encoded with knowledge for magicians, how to conjure dark matter. They are encoded spells like the one they see inside the panda video. And all the articles are, in fact, encoded using principles of illusion magic. This is where we see that quick bond start to form between Katie and Harriet, even though Penny is just acting like old Penny.
1: Penny is very pissy.
0: What's going on with him? I mean, I understand him being upset after everything he's been through. But he has this odd, very quick reaction to the woman, Harriet. He doesn't like her.
1: No. I wonder. I mean, I think he wanted to just get in and get out, for one. And maybe there's more going on with his feelings that he hasn't voiced yet. And we do say he's not one to complain. But it might be eating him inside. And he might be having doubts about this library thing.
0: I think there's also times where he might have doubts about Katie. I think she does things that scare him a little bit. And he's not always okay with the route she went when she became part of the Hedge Witches. I mean, let's not forget she left him at Break Bill South where they were following a very different path together. And they've never talked about that, but I'm assuming he's probably still a little hurt even though he understands. And in a little bit, he's going to talk about how he thinks what Harriet did was dangerous. He, he doesn't really agree with Katie being so okay with it. Now the woman pulls the overdue book out and returns it to Penny. And Katie has a side conversation with her saying the library didn't have the knowledge she needs, specifically how to kill a trickster god. It's then Harriet tells Katie there is no kind of knowledge the library doesn't have. So a lot of things
1: going on in this scene. One, the way Harriet is acting. She pulls out the book, she pulls out that sleeve, and she flicks it. She kind of...
0: Flicks the card. Yeah.
1: I didn't think she was doing anything to it, but I thought it was something peculiar, as if either she really liked that book, or she was just realizing how late it was. I wonder...
0: Trying to show Katie something I thought yeah. on the card. But 10 years, if this was her plan,
1: why wait 10 years? Or was she just waiting for them to come get it?
0: I have no idea. She's, that's one of my biggest questions after the episode. She's up to something and she clearly has her own agenda. The question is, what is that? What is she trying to accomplish? Is she in fact dangerous? I mean, Katie doesn't know that much about her yet, really. We like her automatically. But this is a risky plan that she's put in motion.
1: Now, I don't know if she's a good guy or a bad guy yet. I want her to be good. But what I do know is it looks like she kind of felt for Katie right away. And she wanted to help her right away. Almost as if...
0: She'd been through something similar? Yeah. I thought that as well. And... (laughs) By my own nature, of course, I don't like the fact that the order is not allowing people access to certain types of knowledge. It just feels wrong to me. If the knowledge is out there, you should be able to see it. Yet the way they describe it later is that it's potentially world-destroying. It's so dangerous that it shouldn't be available to the public. It made me wonder if something had happened before. If there was a precipitating event that led to them locking up these books Mm -hmm. and actually developing an order with the sole purpose of protecting it, yes, they pretend they're a regular library, but they're not very good at any of that. No, They don't have any of these other books. What they have is the super important books that are locked up and a book about every single person, their life story, which is shady. What are they doing with that? Why do they need that knowledge? So there's more to them, and I'm not automatically willing to judge them. Perhaps there's a reason why they do things the way they do. And maybe Katie needs to know that before she just starts breaking in and stealing dangerous books from the poison room because they want personal revenge on Reynard. This goes back to the whole original plan that they don't think things through. All they know is they want to kill him, and that's noble, but do the ends justify the means? If they're going to unlock a room that could potentially destroy a world, is that worth getting back at Reynard? Maybe Julia has been a bad influence on her. Maybe. <laughs> and I think that could be Penny's hesitation, maybe seeing that and trying to just rein her in a little bit.
1: Right away, when she tells her that the library has all the information, all information ever, again, that gave me that feeling like uh, there's more to this library that mm-hmm. we just don't know. Yeah, And I'm very curious about it. Josh was playing around with potions when he found a note on the dishwasher. The note read, Wedding Day, Western Gate, Unguarded, Bring Gifts There, which Elliot realizes Baylor put there. And of course, Elliot's pissed because he thought he won Baylor over. I mean, they were kind of buddying around.
0: Yeah, and this is the classic line where he's saying he really should have executed him before mm-hmm. he could ruin things. He says, The Foo Fighters are going to red my wedding.
1: Little uh, Game of Thrones. <laughs> yes. Which is awesome, because they'll be introducing a dragon.
0: Yeah, there you go.
1: And he figures the dishwasher has probably been passing messages to the Foo Fighters the whole time. Did we ever meet the dishwasher? No, I right? don't think so. And then Margot, because she's a brilliant strategist, says let him take the note back, and then tells Josh to make a lot of that potion.
0: Yeah, so I miss this. What are they actually doing to them? Are they just knocking them out with this potion?
1: Yeah, I mean, the potion he was making was... For the party goers at the wedding, which was supposed to make them happy and blissful. Mm-hmm. But he overdid it, which may, which kind of, yeah, I guess knocks you out.
0: But what, they're going to have to do something next, right? I mean, what's their next play here? Yeah, all
1: they did was buy time. Yeah. They should have, they're all knocked out. They should have had the guards go and tie them all up, bring yeah. them to the dungeon.
0: You would think, right? But later he celebrates it. I guess we'll talk about it. Like it's such a victory. Yeah. He's so pleased with himself. I love Josh. <laughs>
1: And this is when Margot casts a tracking spell to find them on the fillery map, which I thought was cool. It's like, uh, find my iPhone.
0: Yeah, it looked like they were encamped right at the edge of the Darkling Wood, mm. from what we could see.
1: So we kind of knew that the Foo Fighters would still want to fight, like that wasn't over. Yeah. But we thought that it would be over the baby, but they're still not aware of that. We thought maybe Fen would go back and be pissed off.
0: Mm-hmm. They're setting the stage, too, that Josh is already kind of becoming errand boy Yeah. for Margot, Whatever needs to be done, he was working on the cuisine and then the potions and now he's raiding the camp.
1: <laughs> well, I trust him more than the council.
0: I do, too, which is funny because the last time we saw him, he was dipping out on all of them when they were about to fight the beast.
1: Well, I guess that was a little too hard. Maybe he's not a fighter. <laughs> no, he's, a, he's, de- a, de-
0: he's definitely not.
1: He cooks stuff. <laughs> Where's the woman that left with him? She's still in school, or? I don't know. I guess they wouldn't want to bring her on anything, anyways.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It was probably mainly her who made them leave.
0: It was in the books, I'll tell you that much. Next, Penny returns the overdue book to the library and asks for the book to help with his hands. When the male librarian Howard stamps the card inside the book, it emits a smoke that he breathes in.
1: That was cool. That was pretty cool.
0: Yeah. <laughs> we realized that Harriet obviously put the spell on the card. He gets a glazed look on his face and just walks off. This was pretty intense. His hands start shaking at first. You don't really know what's going on. Yeah. Then his whole body starts shaking, and you realize he's trying to restrain himself from doing something. He's saying, I can't control, can't stop. And finally, he pushes a big emergency red button that says kill switch and passes out bleeding from the nose.
1: So this kill switch, is it actually a kill switch It killed him?
0: Good question. I actually didn't even consider that possibility. I
1: think so, because what else did it stop? Right. It was him. So he killed himself. Oh, wow. Sacrificed himself. And it's probably no mistake that it's by that door.
0: I'm sure when you take this position, you are told about all of these... Of course. Extenuating circumstances. It's a cult. It's really intimidating now, knowing that Penny belongs to these crazy group.
1: It's the Church of Scientology.
0: The female librarian says the card was cursed with a modus hex, which forces you to perform an action against your will. If not for this man's bravery, it would have caused him to do something very dangerous. Open the door. And the poison room is where they store books that are too dangerous for the public. He died to keep people from getting their hands on books that can destroy worlds.
1: Now, at this point, are you thinking that Harriet is a bad guy?
0: You know, I was very conflicted. I saw her more like the type of person that heads up a rebel group. Mm-hmm. They don't believe in what the librarians are doing, stopping people from having access to this knowledge. And perhaps it's useful for certain individuals' intentions, as in with Katie, where she wants to kill the fox. But it was reckless, and I can sort of see why they have so many rules in place. We don't even know what happened yet, but it must have been something pretty bad to cause them to lock them all up here. And she must sort of know that.
1: So you're saying it's because of something that maybe formed this library or at least this room.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So it's a reaction, not a prevention.
0: Right. I, that's what I think personally. And again, this isn't coming from any book knowledge. This is just a guess.
1: Well, this brings up the whole concept of net neutrality. It's kind of the same thing, but with books instead of the computer. Mm -hmm. And of course, net neutrality is the principle that internet service providers should enable access to all content and applications regardless of the source and without favoring or blocking particular products or websites. This is something that the government has tried to pass a few times, and it's for a few reasons. They're saying to prevent bad things from happening with the internet. It's so open source.
0: Like EG sites that show you how to build a bomb or something.
1: Yeah, I guess things like that or um, child sex websites and Mm -hmm. shit like that. But with everything, there's always when you can close off something and give someone control, you're going to also allow them to stop good information from getting to you. They have the power.
0: I think also what you wind up doing is usually creating a black market because people will find a way to get what they want to get their hands on through other means. True.
1: But that's not the only thing that we're concerned with. It's also because... Now, our providers, so I guess it would be Verizon, Optimum, Comcast, all that stuff, they have the power now to charge companies to get their websites to be able to be viewed. Mm-hmm. And vice versa, charge us too. So it could become this whole controlled environment, it's supposed to be the open internet, the free internet. And now,
0: freedom of information. Yeah.
1: And now only the big dogs will be able to get to you, which means more and more control.
0: This always brings up the issue of can people be trusted,
1: right? Mm -hmm. Can
0: they be trusted with this knowledge not to do the wrong things with it? And I just do get that feeling that that's what happened at some point. Whatever individuals got their hands on this, you don't say destroy worlds for no cause. (laughs) Yeah, It got away from them. And now you've established a group of people to protect it. And again, I, I think... Harriet's ac- actions were reckless, and Katie's actions are a little reckless. She didn't know what's behind that door, what's going on with that, and what the consequences could be.
1: Arjun Gupta on Twitter wrote to #hashtag The Magician, so basically all of our, all of us fillery heads. <laughs> I don't know. He wrote, "What are y'all thoughts on this? On it? Should some knowledge?" say, the info on how to make a bomb. Oh, there you go. Should it be censored? It's a dialogue that is playing out very tangibly in the form of net neutrality and more abstract in the form of AI. This really does set up a fascinating dialogue about open source versus closed source knowledge. So we wrote to Arjun Gupta, and we said we'd ask our clatchers what their thoughts on that. So if you guys want to respond to him, I think this could really create that dialogue that he wants to have. So I would do at Arjun Gupta, at CKC podcast, and then reflect what your thoughts on it and i think this could really start up a nice fun internet conversation i
0: would love to hear other people's opinions because normally i'd be the first proponent of open knowledge for everyone that's just i'm a knowledge nerd of course i would say that but you see the very real effects of it here what can happen so it's it's a gray area
1: it is and oftentimes things of governing sorts has a gray area there's no black or white, and it's up to you to figure out what the best spot is. Mm. I personally would like to continue an open source because what does this mean about podcasts? That's open. Uh, I don't know if it means that we wouldn't be able to do it without paying. Uh, it's a
0: yeah. Here's also the problem too, right? When you put a rule in place to try to protect people, it winds up extending to so many other areas. Yeah, that, that just shuts it down. Exactly. We don't want to people to have access to these books because it could hurt others well then does that mean other books and eventually do you get to the place where you're burning books because it's not right that people should read that kind of material like it's really carried away
1: so what if we no longer can talk about a particular thing or they deem it's bad
0: Mm -hmm.
1: it's interesting and kind of scary at the same time (laughs) all right back to the magicians fog tells julia that the tesla flexion was only used successfully once before.
0: The Tesla Flexion has only been successfully employed once before. Luckily, we are using the original equipment left to break bills by the man who
1: invented it. Nikola Tesla? No. Fred Flexion. And it's only been used once before because... Three people died trying to shut it down last time. What's the tent for? The Flexion is a fold between two different realities. The tinted area is where they cross over. Now. Miss Wicker and I will work together to cast the flexion.
0: But if we hold it longer than two minutes, we will all die. Don't sugarcoat it. Gwendon. get the answers that you need and then get out. I felt like they set that up so hardcore and then it seemed like they were going longer than two minutes and they just sort of fizzled the spell out. It kind of became a non-issue. No,
1: I think it was an issue. They made sure to make it an issue the whole time. It was that they were approaching the two minutes. and They probably feel it. It probably gets harder and harder to, to control. Hold the spell. Now Quentin has to go in there, get the answers he needs to get out under two minutes and not touch anything while in there, while also dealing with this immense emotion, seeing the woman he loves who has passed and vice versa for
0: her. That was really scary. I thought for sure he was going to wind up touching something and yeah. exploding the entire place. And they explain that because matter within different realities occupying the same space can create a paradox. Really cool concepts they're playing with. <clears throat> we have a brief clip back at White Spire where Josh returns happy to tell Elliot and Margo the Foo Fighters are out of commission. This is where we get a great quote for you, Jason. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. When Josh walks away, Margo says, just floating this. Would it be weird if I fucked Josh? And Elliot comes back, my quick thinking Bambi saved the day again.
1: Their banter is priceless.
0: Yeah, he wants to know if she ever talked to Fen. She says yes, but obviously she's lying to him. I guess he just means about the issues she's been having. Clearly, he doesn't know the real problem. All the stuff Margot hasn't told him yet.
1: Yeah, of course not.
0: And she goes to find Fen, but runs into the fairy again and says she wants to talk about the terms of their deal, presumably to back out of this, giving them the baby thing.
1: There's no way they would ever back out of that. <laughs>
0: Absolutely not. And he disappears. He's really not hanging around long enough to have any conversations. And she sees Fen is behind her and knows that she saw it too. So she's not going mad. And then Margot confesses that the deal to save Elliot's life involved giving them her baby. And Fen tells her to fix it.
1: Jeez. Again, the way she just puked it out did not help at all.
0: And Fenn didn't respond as strongly as I thought she was going to. No? She freaked out. She did, but they keep proving over and over again that she is a tough woman. Her first thought is going to go to, all right, how do we fix this? Mm -hmm. We need to solve the problem instead of just being upset about it.
1: Yeah, but her way of saying, all right, let's fix this, is saying, Margot, fix it.
0: Yeah, well, she created the issue. Yeah. Margot, she made the problem. Now Fen wants her to to resolve it. And so far, that's exactly what Margot has been doing. She has every reason to believe that. Margot keeps getting them out of all these jams.
1: Yeah, and also the way Margot said it, she kind of said it like, I have
0: a plan, kind of, Mm. you know? To sugarcoat it, (laughs) I think. (laughs) Meanwhile, at break bills, Fog and Julia are casting the spell together that turns on the machine. Electricity crackles, the tent goes up, and Q sees the shadow on the inside. He steps inside to find other Alice. He tells her where she is and that she's in another timeline. I thought this was cool because she was so quick to believe it. Of course. Right down to business, just smart Alice. Although she looks terrible. We talked about she's got these red-rimmed eyes. Her hair is everywhere. She seems almost a little insecure in this version as well. Uh,
1: insecure, yeah, maybe lost.
0: Vulnerable. Vulnerable,
1: yeah. She's been trying everything in her power, literally, destroying herself. And she's to been alone
0: yeah. because everybody else is dead in this timeline. She's so happy just to see him. he asks her to tell him everything she knows about shades. She describes exactly what's happened in this iteration, that the Beast tore Quentin apart piece by piece, including his shade.
1: My shade, do you know where it went?
0: I searched everywhere for it. You can't rest in peace without it, but there are no books on how to do with it.
1: So I traveled the world in search of anyone, anything that could help me. What did you learn? Shades go to the underworld. There's an
0: underworld. It's only accessible to the dead, but there's a catch. The living can access the underworld with the help of a gatekeeper. A gatekeeper? An ancient one, being older than the world itself.
1: Okay, how do you find one of those? I don't know. The difference is she only has herself. So he's more likely with the crew and hopefully Dean Fogg to find it. To
0: figure that out, yeah. She also apologizes. She says when they died, they were fighting, and she wasn't too proud of it. We talked about that before. He tells her he loves her no matter what, and that's when the spell fizzles out.
1: He cannot get over her, no matter what he does. He went to the real world, got a real job, just to do some drugs and end up seeing her and having sex of, with an image of her. Mm-hmm. Then the shade, <laughs> and Niffin, now this. Niffin, uh, yeah, Niffin I'm stuck sorry. in
0: his back. Yeah, and now 23rd iteration, Alice. And that's what I mean by she keeps popping up everywhere. But it's, it's sort of cool. It's like what happens in real life when you lose somebody. You think you see them everywhere. You can't stop thinking about them, dreaming about them. But because there's magic in this world... It's It's actually happening to him, and it makes it that much harder. Now, do you think since he's finally had the opportunity to say goodbye to her, he will be able to move on a little now?
1: Actually, that's exactly what I was going to ask you. This felt a little different. It felt more like a closure that they both needed on both loops. They got to say goodbye, essentially.
0: Because that's what he's been trying to do. He did say the things he needed to say to Emily Greenstreet parading as Alice, he also said goodbye when he let Niff and Alice go. The difference there being there was no real Alice on the other side to respond to him. Yeah. This time it actually is her, even though she's in a different world. It's still reacting and talking to him as Alice would. And I think that's going to allow him maybe to get some closure on it.
1: Yeah, it also helped that they both were kind of feeling the same thing, even though they were two different loops and the circumstances were drastically different of like, for example, who died. The emotions that they went through were parallel enough where it made sense for both of them. But I still don't think that's the end of her. We got to get her back in the show, right?
0: Well, you're going to get Niffin Alice back. I don't okay. know if you'll ever get another look at the real Alice the way we sort of did here.
1: Well, they're going into the underworld to get the shade. What if they find Alice?
0: That's a good point. I don't know. I guess it would be sort of Alice's shade, right? Yeah. That would be existing there.
1: Maybe the shade is enough to fix a niffin. It's enough to heal the body.
0: That's a good question we haven't thought about before.
1: I don't know if a show would kill two birds with one storyline.
0: Yeah, I think it's too important that they focus on the Julia thing because we've talked about how it has been sidelined a little Mm -hmm. by Quentin himself and now has the opportunity to be priority if he's gotten closure on Alice. I don't think they're going to reintroduce her and complicate that emotional connection. It does bring up all sorts of questions for me, though. And this is an area where I can't really speculate too much. It is a plot that happened in the book. It seems differently. In fact, I'll tell you after we've gone there next episode, but the way you travel to the underworld in the book was the only part that maybe wasn't totally fully formed and spectacular. I'm Mm -hmm. very hopeful that the TV show might be able to flesh it out a bit better. But it still makes me worry, even with the help of a gatekeeper, could things go wrong? Whenever you have stories of people traveling to the underworld, Greek heroes or whatever it might be, it's never easy. No. Once you're in the underworld, there's always an issue trying to get back out or stuff that happens that you don't anticipate. You're just never prepared fully for that.
1: Did Percy Jackson have much trouble? Yeah. He did. Okay. Yeah. It should be exciting, and hopefully, they spend enough time there where we can really appreciate a dragon and what the underworld would look like. Mm. Benedict Cumberbatch is voicing that dragon, so it should be good. Where are you? I smell you. Just kidding. And this is when Penny and Katie return to Fuzzbeat. Is that a play on Buzzfeed, do you think? The website?
0: Oh, clever. Maybe. I think so.
1: Katie says Harriet didn't know the guy was going to kill himself. She's not totally wrong. The librarians are definitely hiding things, and who are they to decide who gets the knowledge? And that's true.
0: She's bringing up that issue. I I think it's intentional on the part of the magicians raising the topic. Yeah,
1: and this is what you've been talking about with Penny. He just disagrees and thinks what Harriet did was dangerous and wrong, and he completely feels like blinded with what the librarians are saying to him.
0: He doesn't even really take the time to talk to Katie about it is unusual for him shut down to that whole conversation uh, it makes me wonder almost do they have some kind of hold on him by signing that Uh, contract is something happening now with him
1: it's a good question kind of like a magical brainwash yeah
0: bring him into the cult
1: (laughs) they get in there the whole office is cleared out so she got out there with in a hurry which makes me think this must have been planned
0: yeah, well, everyone's gone, and there were yeah. a lot of employees there, right?
1: Yeah, so she must have known they were coming. She must have known it's time to get up. Either that or she always had an escape plan just in case.
0: Yeah, that was the out.
1: What was funny is there was a thank you card on the desk for Katie with a panda, <laughs> which was the storyline that they read on the website. Yeah. Panda, 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 panda,
0: panda. Yeah, the card says the Ars Desidium: the art of killing gods with a calling card number and P.S. It's in the poison room.
1: Panda, panda. So this makes me think she cares for her, but I don't know. Maybe if she finds a way into the poison room, Harriet will get what she needs Maybe as well. Maybe she's
0: a pawn to get her to open the door.
1: Yeah. Or was the whole spell because she knew that Katie had to find a way to kill a god so it was completely selfless? I doubt that, right? Or does
0: this woman have history with Reynard too? There's so many things oh, that yeah. could be going on here. History with the library, the order.
1: She definitely has a history with the order.
0: You know, it would be cool if she tied back into Mayakovsky somehow and this is how we bring him back into oh, the story. That would be awesome.
1: I don't know why, but I want to think of her as a good guy. Maybe because I love the actress and I want her to be there more. But this might be the last we see of her.
0: Well, and there was such a quick bond forged with Katie, but that almost makes you suspicious in hindsight. Why mm-hmm. did she warm to her so fast? She doesn't know Katie.
1: So Fuzzy is the magician's rendition of F Society. <laughs>
0: right? <laughs> yeah. Okay, we have two more scenes. One of them very quick where Fen runs to find Elliot upset about the fairy deal, but instead finds the fairy and they cut it there.
1: Did the fairy take Fen?
0: I couldn't. I couldn't figure that out. I'm not sure. Yeah,
1: I'm thinking yes because it's getting volatile. At least their agreement is, and what's the safest thing to do to make sure you get the baby? That's you the take way to Fen. ensure yeah. you
0: have it. Mm-hmm.
1: I don't think we want a war with but fairies, that
0: can, and now that could go off on a whole rescue Fen mission. I don't know how I feel. About that becoming central focus in Fillory?
1: Maybe they'll leave her to fend for her own life.
0: <laughs> oh my goodness.
1: <laughs> I'm back, baby!
0: <laughs> Penny for your thoughts.
1: Can we keep that whole thing in
0: there? <laughs> Do whatever you want, right, sweetie. Yeah. And lastly, we go to the physical cottage where Julia tells Q he's been staring at that same page for an hour. He says he keeps seeing Alice's face. She doesn't know how to help his hurting. I think this is the point where she talks a little bit about not being able to emotionally connect. She knows she should feel bad for him, but doesn't know what to do about it. And he responds that he doesn't want to feel better. Is this because he feels like the hurting is the only thing that keeps him connected to Alice?
1: Or feeling alive? I don't know. He, I mean, he's kind of been hurting his whole life, right? In one way or the other.
0: Yeah, yeah. Brings up an interesting conversation, which we won't totally dive into now, but about Quentin's character. Yes, bad things happen to him constantly. He has maybe the worst luck of anyone we've Mm -hmm. ever met. But in a sense, he kind of also chooses to wallow in his misery and to not break out of that and be stuck in his problems. A lot of other characters just write him off for that reason. People like Margot I think Julia has been one of the people who gets that throughout the course of their friendship together and is able to be there for him. And of course, she knows how to bring him out of it. She says she figured out what an ancient one is.
1: Mm -hmm. It's a serpent dragon. (laughs) I can't wait for that. So they're going to be going on quite a quest. Yes. Yes. Do you think they'll bring the whole crew or split up again like they tend to?
0: Man, I have a feeling it's just going to be Quentin and Julia, although I would like Uh, to see that be a crew journey. Yeah,
1: I'd like to see Penny sling insults to the dragon.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, Jason, we've answered most of the questions we had while going through the episode. Just a couple that we didn't touch on. Where is Idri right now? Do you think he's part of this Foo Fighter uprising?
1: No, I think he's still in Loria getting his shit together. Okay, you he's don't gonna think be he's moving.
0: behind the no, the rebellion, the Foo Fighter business?
1: No, because he's getting what he wants, which is to be king and have 50-50 share. Okay. And basically all the suffering of his people pretty much will be done. And I think this would just be something that would hinder that whole idea.
0: Okay. Well, now then if he has to make nice with the rulers, maybe he'll come back and help with that. Maybe that's how we take care of the Foo Fighters.
1: I hope so. I really like that character. And if he can become a good part of the crew.
0: Yeah, bring in the Lorians to kick some butt yeah. now.
1: <laughs> They're kind of the most interesting characters in Fillory right now. So I want more of them, but I want him as a good guy, you know?
0: Yeah, and does bringing him into the mix shoot down the question we've been talking about a lot, which is the fact that we don't have a fourth ruler. And we haven't for quite some time. It's been Elliot, Margot, and Quentin.
1: Well, he's not a human. So we can't be a fourth ruler like that.
0: No, but is that going to kind of sideline? Because we have that to deal with, in other words, are we going to not think about that? Because I'm very surprised that the Florians, for all their fighting, this could be a very easy solution for why the rulers don't work. They don't have a fourth ruler, and that's supposed to be an essential part of...
1: So they need a female, right?
0: Yes. I'm just wondering why they haven't said anything about it and who that could be if our crew... That's probably the
1: least of their concerns right now, you know?
0: Probably, but I thought as a matter of principle, because the high council seems to be very strict about these things, they would not allow it to continue on. I'm sure it's not at the crew's importance, but for them, that they would bring it up to them.
1: They're pretty helpless. What are they going to do about it? True. At this point, I'd be like, you guys aren't even a council. You don't do shit.
0: Also, Mellie brought up a few questions she wanted us to address. Will we see more fairies? And is Reynard's son brainwashed by now?
1: Well, we're definitely going to see more fairies for sure, because this is going to be one of the main story plots for a while getting Fen and getting the baby back.
0: And I think next episode, even, we'll see them. But I really like the second question what's going on with Senator Gaines? And is Raynard bringing him into his way of thinking? We had kind of brought up that question. Will he get him to do something bad without him realizing it by sort of brainwashing him and telling him this is <sighs> for the good?
1: We know that gods are master manipulators of humans. So he may be able to, but...
0: And Reynard is the trickster god.
1: Yeah, you're right.
0: But you have confidence in Senator I have in confidence in the
1: senator. I think he's a smart man, obviously, right? Mm -hmm. Even though this is a lot to deal with, maybe the Fox will help to get the Senator to realize his power and to learn it. But I think in the end, the Senator is going to realize what he's doing is wrong. So we might see him as a bad guy for a little while. But I think in the end, he'll he'll switch back.
0: We'll have a father-son battle, maybe.
1: Oh, that'd be cool. I'm wondering if we'll even see much of this season because there's so many other things going on. I mean, they'll probably bring it back a little bit, but...
0: They might pause that. There's no lot. way they
1: can resolve that this season.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, we only have three episodes left and so many things. I'm trying to figure out in my mind kind of where they're going to cut it Yeah. for season two. We had our filler request number 10, Freedom of Information, but pretty much it was just hacking the encoded videos of Fuzzbeat.
1: They're still fun though. Of course. And I love Katie in the beginning video.
0: And that wraps up everything we had to say about episode 10. So Jason, what is your rating?
1: I'm going to give this episode 9.6 crowns. I really enjoyed it. Every storyline was fun. I kind of felt better, like, feeling like Q got his closure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was nice to have Dean Fogg helping out. And yeah, there was, was a lot of Penny this time, which, I, you know, of course I'm going to enjoy.
0: This was the rare exception here where Dean Fogg actually really did help them.
1: And the, the introducing back into the fold, the loops.
0: Yeah. It was great to lives.
1: get, like, yes, we're getting the beginning storylines combined again. So it doesn't feel like everything they went through with the Beast really means shit.
0: Mm. Well, I don't think I need to keep expanding on it because I've been talking all podcast about how much I love this episode and for what reasons. I'll just get right to it. I gave it a 9.7. Oh, nice. By far my highest rating of the season.
1: I think this is the first time you graded higher than I did.
0: Yeah, it's. I think it's a book thing where this is concerned because there's there's some really great points that I was hoping we would get to. And been waiting ten episodes to <laughs> see, and they're all appearing now at once. So the nerd in me is really coming out. And who is your MVM?
1: I hope I don't have the same one as you this I'm time. I'm sure we do. I'm going Harriet.
0: Yay! Different. Do you have something different? Yes.
1: Perfect. Wow,
0: she that's was a only rare, rare. I know. Rare occurrence here.
1: She was only in a few scenes, but she kind of stole the episode. She her presence just in those scenes were very lasting and memorable.
0: Yeah, I could see where you would pick her. I liked her as well. I'm nervous because I don't know which side of the fence she lies on yet. Oh, me neither. And I actually picked Josh. Oh, nice. He took care of the Foo Fighters with his potion and also gave the one to Quentin that allowed him to find the other world where Julia's shade is.
1: And we all know how much you love sweets. So maybe it's just the fact that he was cooking <laughs> yes. some. Yes,
0: and he's funny.
1: Yeah, he is I'm a sucker funny. for that
0: comic relief.
1: Yeah, again, it's nice to have his demeanor. Everyone else is so jaded. They've been through so much. His demeanor is still kind of naive and, and full of hope.
0: If Hillary is fun, the adventure is fun. He's still in that mindset. Yeah. And this gives me my perfect segue. I want to talk just for a minute about character review on Josh Hoberman. We've been through most of it already, but he was a physical kid at Breakbills. We never got a meta discipline for him. In the books, he's described as being the overweight, jokester, slacker of the group, and he offers much of the novel's comic relief. He is likely the least natural in his skills, but also flirts with an untapped power throughout the novel. There's parts where it comes bubbling out of him, and he doesn't even realize how much magic he (laughs) actually has, but he doesn't have the discipline to figure out how to tame it. He's described in the novel as someone who takes longer than others to pick up on a magical concept or technique but once he figures it out, he masters it and makes it his own. He's also noted as not being taken seriously due to his comic personality, but having a keen insight into things other people might otherwise miss, which is reflected in his observations about the magician's spellcasting. Josh barely passed his exams at breakbills to graduate, so is thought of as being a poor magician, although he is occasionally seen doing impressive feats of magic. And as we said before, we know him from being the friend and classmate of traveler Victoria, who took them on vacation to Fillory and then got trapped there. Victoria, for all you book readers, I guess is the translation of Anais, the character he was friends with in the novel. There was just so much more with Josh. He had an entire backstory that I think they might get into As it goes into book three, and I don't know what season that will be on TV, so I won't talk about it, but I'm excited if they are bringing back book Josh to be a bigger part of our our career, that would be fun.
1: On to Clatcher's comments, we only have a few this time. Melly wrote to us on Twitter, just when Penny says what we're all thinking, fog isn't that helpful, fog helps a bit. (laughs) Reverse psychology? (laughs) (laughs)
0: That's
1: true. We have been saying he does not help at all. and Even Penny says it, reaffirming our anger. And then he helps.
0: Yeah. I, I've said it before. I can never quite figure out how we're supposed to feel about Teen yeah. fog. Uh, But it's fun. She had also written to us about last episode, best one for her so far, because she liked the magic and the outcomes and enjoyed the scariness of the fairies. Oh,
1: nice. She liked how Margot highlighted the difference between Elliot and Q's depressive states.
0: Because Elliot's fun. You're depressing. It's been three months. Yeah. Quentin is being emo Quentin, she yes. says, right? Yeah. <laughs> wallowing. She, in she's his. never had any patience for that. But like you commented before, I think that makes it funnier. It's enjoyable oh, to sure. see Margo and Q together. I kind of wish we'd get more of it. Warren also wrote in to say along those lines, it's funny, Jason Ralph thinks he's in a serious show and everyone around him knows they're in a parody.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and uh, Jason Ralph actually retweeted his tweet and said, well... And I was like, oh, I hope he didn't take that the wrong way.
0: Oh, no, it's great. Yeah. It's exactly how Quentin's character was written in the books and why we love him. He just takes everything in life so serious.
1: Everyone has that guy in their group. That's probably me. Is that me?
0: No. No, no that's not you. That's going to wrap episode 10. If you're afraid of spoilers, we'll see you next time. For everyone still here, we heard about the next episode 11. It's called The Rattening. Q approaches the Ancient One, saying he is seeking passage to the underworld. The Ancient One says they seek to die. Mm-hmm. And then we see they enter what looks like a hotel and take an elevator down.
1: Down to the, the underworld.
0: Yeah, I'm excited. Yeah,
1: it's going to be magical.
0: It's hard to tell by the episode titles what we have in store for us. We have three episodes left of this seasoning. Ha <laughs> We have three episodes left of this season. 11, The Rattening, 12, Ramifications, and 13, We Have Brought You Little Cakes. So hmm. all I get from that is that we know in 13, we're going to see Ember again. It's episode I'm 13 I'm curious of to see what one. he's been doing. Yeah, <laughs> sitting around on his ass.
1: Fucker. After the show, there was a Valerian movie trailer, which looked so magical. Yeah. And we're definitely going to want to see that. And I think what we're going to do, we'll do some research, find out more about it, and we'll talk about it in our Patreon.
0: Sounds good. I have some new books to discuss also that I'm really excited about.
1: Can't wait. If you haven't already, follow us on Twitter, at podcast. Email us your thoughts, your opinions, and we'll discuss it on the podcast. Keep the storyline going.
0: If you like what you're hearing, please take the time to review us on iTunes.
1: Until next week, this round's on me. This round is on me.